we're going to start this morning. Going to roll from verses uh, 11 through 22 here in just a couple of seconds. Um, Reconciliation is the name of the lesson. Reconcile is actually the, the title of the lesson. God will reconcile us to himself in Christ, removing barriers of hostility between believers and between others. If we use Jesus as the center point, and as Carrie was uh, praying there, uh, in a d- divided and dark world, the one light in that world and the one, bar- uh, the one uh, span in that world that will uh, span all barriers is Jesus Christ. And divisions often run deep. You think about your own personal life, uh, past injustices, current fears. Here's a good one. Future imagined responses. Have you ever got to the point where you think that someone else is thinking someone and you're trying to outthink them and then it begins to skew your way of thinking? How about this one? Uh, uh, Think that somebody still has some kind of animosity toward you, and you eventually get to the point where you try to reconcile that, and then you find out that they don't even remember it. It's not even on your radar. And you've been losing sleep over it. Right? All of those can uh, uh, compile together and come together to contribute to the complexity of tensions in our life, whether we're Christians, whether we're believers or we're non-believers. And adding to the complexity, people can be united on one front, yet divided on another front. Think about things that we get along with. Uh, Sports teams, shared work goals, community events may bring diverse groups of people together, yet not remove the ultimate divisions that we have in our lives that exist away from the thing that we get along about, the event or action that we have in common. True reconciliation and unity are found in the shared belief through Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is how Jesus can bring us all together, male and female, Jew and Gentile, uh, Arab and Jew. Jesus is the glue that brings this world together. And the Judeo-Christian system and the moral system of the Judeo-Christian religion is what governs still today. We still mark time by Jesus Christ. Carrie, you want to share a song with us and then we'll get into it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross love so amazing love so amazing Jesus Messiah name above all Messiah, the 
been talking a little bit over the last couple of weeks about Ephesus and how important a city it was at the time. It was a multi multicultural city and a melting pot for many different cultures and religions. One might expect openness and diversity from such a community, but one group certainly maintained its own cultural identity, and that was the Jew in Ephesus. Ephesian Jews were mighty, what's the word that I'm looking for here? Um, clo I wouldn't say close-minded, but maybe they were close-minded to a great degree. The Jews in Ephesus worked so hard to maintain the purity of their race and their religion and their language and their culture. 
The separateness of the Jews from other parts of Ephesian culture is best seen in Paul's visit to Ephesus that was recorded in Acts chapter 19. As was his custom, immediately when he would hit a community, when he would hit a region, he would go to the synagogue when he arrived and he would begin to preach. And if you look at the 19th chapter of Acts, we see where the opposition to Paul's preaching to Jesus was so great that he had to withdraw and take his party with him from the synagogue and preach his message in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And it says this, And he entered the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in disbelief, speaking evil of the way, we know what the way is, right? Speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and he took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Despite many miracles that God had performed amongst the people of Ephesus, the Jews continued to resist the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, otherwise known as the way at that particular point, what we would know as the gospel today. And they even attempted to do miracles on their own. And though some converted to Christ through these events, Many others remained hardened in their opposition to the Christian faith. And not only the Jew, but the Gentile as well. They rejected Jesus and they opposed Christianity. The conversion of Gentiles to Christ cut into the profits of those who were making idols that were used in worship to Artemis, to Diana. And so there was opposition from those folks. And even though the climate of Ephesus was open to many religions, the one religion they would not tolerate was Christianity. Why? Why wouldn't they tolerate the Christian? They're willing to tolerate all other religions, but not Christianity. What did Christianity have or demand that the others didn't? Bingo. Who said that? Tom. Nailed it. Right there. Only one God. It was an exclusive religion. So all of these other religions that were willing to let you have multiple gods, they were willing to accept in this multicultural community, but they weren't willing to accept Christianity because Christianity demanded that we worship one God. And I mentioned that uh, Paul was beginning to uh, convert people to Christianity, and it caused these people to uh, uh, stop buying these idols. And so those that were profiting from manufacturing these idols stirred up the people against Paul, and they caused riots. The gospel message is the one and only way of salvation through Jesus Christ. Paul would have been deceiving them and himself had he preached anything else just to get along, to go along. This is not always a popular message, if you haven't noticed that throughout history. The Christian message in some cultures will be so strongly opposed that they will be willing to riot, they will be willing to put people to death for that message. But here is our charge. As Christian brothers and sisters, we should not be the one to build walls between ourselves and others 
We should be the folks that are reaching out beyond any kind of barrier that even their religion creates. We must stand for biblical truth, but standing for truth doesn't require us to build a wall and wall ourselves off from the world. We must get right in there and roll up our sleeves and be willing to take the punches that they are going to throw at us for demanding that we worship one true God. Salvation is not only an individual work in the lives of you and I and the people that are described in the first part of Ephesians chapter 2, but it also involves the creation of a whole new community of people, a body of believers, what we are here today, not divided by race, but united by faith in Jesus, the bridge builder. Somebody grab for me to get us started this morning, verse 11. Brought near is what it's uh, it's titled here. Somebody have verse 11 for us this morning. Dolores, thank you. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. Thank you, Dolores. Paul is beginning here uh, this affirmation by reminding the Ephesians that they were once Gentiles in the flesh. This was a reference to the fact that they were uncircumcised. The Jewish historian Josephus, Fred gave me a great book on Josephus recently, and I've always wanted to have the writings of Josephus, not to uh, hold up in any way, shape, or form to the light of the Bible, but just to look and kind of uh, uh, sense what was going on politically and religiously at the time. The historian Josephus spoke of Gentiles who laughed at the circumcision of Jews and made fun of it and ridiculed them because of this practice. The Gentile would look at the Jew and say, look at what these folks are doing. Yet the Jews continued the practice because they knew that it was something that God had given to Abraham. But interestingly and surprisingly, Paul criticized the practice of circumcision as a form of idolatry. Isn't that something? He said that it was done in the flesh by human hands. And when we look at the Greek word used for that uh, in the Greek Old Testament, it basically means making of idols. It's distracting from focus on worship. And this, even though it's an, an object of the flesh, it is taking away from focusing wholly on God and taking it to the point where in order to get to the foot of the cross, you must do this thing. Act. You must, uh, it would be like us believing that baptism somehow saves us. For the Jews, circumcision had become yet another idol that stood in the way of their true worship of God. It was a fleshly attempt to make a connection with God that could only be established by Jesus and faith in Jesus Christ. Yet they continued on with the practice because it was tradition, it had been handed down from generation to generation. That caused great division among the people that Paul was called to reach, both Jew and Gentile. And in verse 12, Paul described four, condition of the, uh, four conditions of the Gentiles before they were brought to faith in Jesus Christ. See if you can spot all four of these in verse 12. Uh, do I have a, a good, strong voice this morning to take on verse 12 for us? How about a weak one? How about one in a foreign language? Thank you, Lois. God love you. Without hope and without God in the 
Thank you, Lois. This, uh, the lyrics of the song that I played this morning are just so, so amazing. You know, it's Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the what? The rescue from, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. All our hope is in you. All our hope is in you. All our hope is in you, God, the light of the world. He, he is telling them, Paul is telling these Gentiles that they were, first of all, without Christ. As non-Jews, Gentiles were cut off from the expectation of the Messiah. Remember that Jews were anticipating a Messiah, but most Jews were anticipating a Messiah that would ride in on a white horse as a, as a, uh, a military Messiah and who would uh, fight them from underneath Roman control and make things wonderful for them again. They were somewhat nationalists in that expectation. These Gentiles had no such expectation of a Messiah to deliver them from sin and from self. So they were without Christ. Secondly, the second condition of the Gentile was that they were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. Gentiles were well aware of the advantages of Roman citizenship, but they did not know the benefits of being connected to God's covenant people, or as we would say, God's chosen people of Israel. They were without Christ and they were outside the community of Jews. Because of their birth, they were cut off from the people of God. In Romans chapter 9, Paul laundry lists, he enumerated some of the blessings and advantages of the Jewish citizenry. The Gentiles did not share those advantages. So they were without Christ and they were outside the family of Israel. Thirdly, the Gentiles were foreigners to the covenants of promise. Dig into that a little bit. There's a, a, a plural word there called covenants. Remember that God made covenants with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. And because the Gentiles were not part of those covenants, they did not share the Jewish hope for the Messiah. So while it all goes hand in hand with the fact that they were without Christ and outside the community of the Jew, they also were not part of that heritage and that lineage that brought hope of a future Messiah. And fourthly, Paul mentions that the Gentiles uh, were without hope and without God in the world. Those two go together. If there is ever a connection, it is God and hope. All our hope is in you. All our hope is in you, God, the light of the world. Because the Gentiles did not know the promises of God, they opted to live in idolatry and to suppress the truth that God had revealed to them in creation. Paul, Paul did not list these conditions to depress the Gentiles, but to cause them to marvel, marvel, what a great word, marvel at the grace of God in bringing them to Christ. And then the, in the margins, I wrote down a question that I found in my material this week. And it got me to thinking a little bit. Why do Christians, why do some Christians lose the wonder of God's salvation at work in our world? Why do some Christians lose the hope of God at work in our lives? Why do some Christians lose the ability to think that God can do things that we can't do and say, it's hopeless. As Christian brothers and sisters living out our faith, we should never, ever be hopeless. 
Even if we have been given a, a medical report that says that we are terminal, we should not live in hopelessness. We have the hope of the world. We have Jesus. And having explained the, the dire predicament of the Gentiles outside of Jesus Christ, Paul switched the dialogue with the words, but now, which he often did, but now, and then he begins to talk about how Gentiles have this opportunity for hope and have this opportunity for Jesus, and they were now in Christ Jesus, and this would be accomplished through their salvation. Let's put uh, verses, well, let's, let's keep 13 separate because we kind of step forward into another area in verse 14. Somebody have verse 13? Short, has easy words. None of them are Aramaic or Jewish. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Lucy. Now you all who were far away are now close to Jesus Christ. The Gentiles were described one time in Scripture as being far away. Isaiah 57, 19 says, The Lord says, Peace, peace to the one who is far or near, and I will heal him. God's peace was available to those who were near. God's peace was available to those who were far. God's peace is still alive in that same way and manifested in our world through salvation in that same force and still has that same power today. Why do we as Christians ever doubt it? Paul attributed the creation of this new community to the blood of Jesus. We're told in Scripture that when we get to heaven, there will be what? Every what? Every tribe? Every tongue, everybody that you run into around the world will be represented in heaven through the blood of Jesus. The new community was birthed through an, uh, was birthed through an event, and that was the cross. That cross changed everything. It changed the entire world. It was a sound and an event that rocked the known world and still rocks it today. It is the difference between hopelessness and hopefulness. And now the Jew and Gentile alike can live in this one community of faith through the blood of Jesus. And the work of Christ in bringing the Jew and the Gentile together in this one new community and harmony is emphasized in 14 through 18. And it's peace. The peace of Jesus. Somebody grab, let's, let's do 14 and 15 first. 14 and 15. Anybody? Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. The first part of that he said is, for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Do you know that bridge builders will tell you that the material used to span obstacles is the same material that is used to create barriers? Think about that for just a moment. Jesus is our bridge builder. Jesus is our bridge. That material that is used for bridge builders to span rivers or valleys or gorges or whatever it is, is the same material that if used for a different purpose, 
can be used to wall oneself off. Jesus is not to be walled off. We are never to wall ourselves off in that regard. And Paul declared that Jesus was the peace between the two groups who had lived in hostility for years. He was the glue that brought these people together. Jesus brought peace with God and with one another. Peace was not found in an ideology nor a religion. Think about that. Peace was not found in an ideology or a religion. Peace was found in a person who lived 33 years on this earth. And that's Jesus the Messiah who died on that cross. The blood of Jesus was powerful enough to make both groups one. No matter what their hostilities toward one another, Jesus brought them together and he tore down the dividing wall of hostility. If you uh, take the, the, the dividing wall of hostility and you use the same Greek word used to divide that dividing wall, it is the same concept that they had in the, the, uh, the temple of the dividing the court of Gentiles and the, the court of Israel or the, the court of the Jew. Gentiles could only go so far, and then that's all the farther they could go in the temple. It was the Jewish temple. A Gentile was welcome to come only so far in his worship of the Lord, but he could not pass that barrier, and Jesus blew that barrier down. And Jesus continues to blow barriers down and obliterate barriers, giving access to him all over the world, and even as we speak this morning. So why do we doubt that? Why do we doubt that ever? In order for the division between the Jew and the Gentile to be broken, Jesus made, as it says here in Scripture, no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations. The word that you would take from the Greek language for made of no effect means it made it ineffective and it rendered it powerless. Jesus rendered those barriers powerless. Remember, the Jews made observance of the law a prerequisite for salvation. And the problem was that that all people are lawbreakers. All of them, the Jew, the Gentile, we today, no person can keep the law in its entirety. So through the blood of Jesus, it was satisfied and it took care of all the righteous requirements of the law. And in doing so, brought those who strove to keep the law, the Jew, and those who were ignorant of the law, the Gentile together. And let's look at verse 16. Uh, Somebody want to grab that for me? Verse 16. Thank you. The idea of reconciliation was to bring together two parties of people who were hostile to one another. I always think about Jimmy Carter with uh, Menachem Begin and Anwar Sadat, right? He he tried to bring those guys together at least to sit down and to to put some things on the table. Both the Jew and the Gentile needed reconciliation with God, both. Even God's chosen people needed reconciliation with God. Their sin had aroused God's wrath and created hostility between them. And reconciliation to God put the hostility to death. Today, reconciliation with God can put all uh, hostilities in our world to death. Angst with family, damaged friendships, workplace jealousy and hostility, Neighborhood strains, 
All of those are bridged by the blood of Jesus. Never again in human history will a gap or a span exist that Jesus can't cover, can't bridge. If we see something as impossible, we are not fully living out our faith. If we look at a situation and say, there's no sense in going down there and knocking on Billy Bob's door because it's a hopeless cause, we don't know our Jesus fully. Again, the language of Paul provides a clear reference to Isaiah chapter 57, where he's talking about the near and the far and bringing them together and having them all be close. And Paul's language also reminds us of Isaiah chapter 52, in which he says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Blessed is the peacemaker. In verses 17 and 18, Jesus came and proclaimed the good news of peace to both the Jew and the Gentile, and they heard this gospel. Somebody grab 17 and 18, would you? Thank you, Jane. Jesus came. He proclaimed uh, the good news of the peace to both the Jew and the Gentile. Now they are together. Now they both had the opportunity to worship God together. Now all those who proclaim this gospel are forwarding the message of peace to those in need of reconciliation with God and with each other. Every one of us 